You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Cyber espionage seems undeterred by stern warnings. DDoS hits the Philippine Senate. The U.S. Department of Homeland Security intends to issue cybersecurity regulations for passenger rail and airlines. The U.S. Department of Justice intends to use the False Claims Act to bring civil actions against government contractors who fail to follow recognized cybersecurity standards. An update on the Twitch breach. Josh Ray from Accenture looks at what's going on with Fancy Lazarus. Our guest is Sam Ingalls from eSecurity Planet on the state of blockchain applications in cybersecurity. And what would it take to get you kids into a nice non-fungible token? From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Thursday, October 7th, 2021. The Russian threat group that successfully exploited vulnerabilities in solar winds last year, an SVR unit best known as either Cozy Bear or Berserk Bear, is said by Mandiant to again be working against Western targets. CNN quotes Mandiant's Charles Carmichael as saying, quote, The group has compromised multiple government entities, organizations that focus on political and foreign policy matters, and technology providers that provide direct or indirect access to the ultimate target organizations within North America and Europe, end quote. It would appear that U.S. warnings against bad behavior in cyberspace may have fallen on deaf ears out Moscow way. A second related CNN report citing new research by Microsoft suggests that Russian government cyber espionage groups are enjoying satisfying levels of success against Western targets. Russia, with China running second, is, as Microsoft Kristen Goodwin, associate general counsel and head of Microsoft's digital security unit, says, still comfortable leaning into nation-state attacks. Goodwin added, and we're seeing that increase. Microsoft's study, and we note in a spirit of disclosure that Microsoft is a CyberWire sponsor, covers the 12-month period running through this past June. The most heavily targeted sector is governments, coming in at 48% of the attacks observed. Non-governmental organizations and think tanks placed second at 31%, 
All other sectors are distant also-rans. Among the countries targeted by nation-state espionage services, the U.S. has a considerable lead at 46% over the country receiving the second greatest level of attention, which would be Ukraine, at 19%. Who's doing all the spy land hacking? The target list suggests that it would be Russia, and that indeed is the case. In fact, more than half, a solid 59% of the incidents tracked, are attributable to a single Russian threat actor, the one Microsoft tracks as Nobelium and that others call APT-29, Cozy Bear, or The Dukes. Coming in second is Thallium, the boys and girls from Pyongyang, also known as Kimsuki, Black Banshee, and Velvet Kolima, but they clock in with just 16%. There's also some old-school spy news. Yesterday, the AP reports, NATO expelled eight members of the Russian delegation to the Atlantic Alliance, withdrawn their credentials, is how Brussels describes PNGing the eight undeclared intelligence officers. NATO also cut the size of the Russian delegation in half, dropping their representation from 20 to 10. Russia denied that its people were up to no good, Leonid Slutsky, who chairs the Foreign Affairs Committee in the Duma's lower chamber, said the accusations were baseless and that NATO's action will strain relations with Moscow. Will Russia retaliate? Probably. Mr. Slutsky told Interfax that an asymmetric retaliation was possible, but he didn't say what such retaliation would amount to. The Philippine Senate is the latest high-profile organization to find its website encumbered by distributed denial-of-service attacks, the Inquirer reports. Quote, The Senate's Electronic Data Processing Management and Information System Bureau said it's temporarily blocked access to the Senate website because of an ongoing distributed denial-of-service attack. End quote. Recovery is said to be in progress. The U.S. Departments of Homeland Security and Justice have announced some new regulations, or at least regulatory approaches. First, DHS, whose regulations are still coming. Addressing the 12th Annual Billington Cybersecurity Summit yesterday, U.S. Secretary of Homeland Security Alejandro Mayorkas said that TSA would introduce new cybersecurity requirements for rail and air transport, Reuters reported that the secretary explained that the measures would apply to higher-risk rail companies. The focus is on passenger rail, including Amtrak and commuter lines, but not on freight haulers, and critical airport and aircraft operators. They would be expected to name a chief cyber official, disclose hacks to the government, and draft recovery plans for if an attack were to occur. CNN says that TSA's coming security directive would be issued before the end of this year. And second, justice. The Wall Street Journal reports that Deputy Attorney General Lisa Monaco announced in Aspen, also yesterday, that the Department of Justice intended to use the False Claims Act to levy significant fines against federal contractors who failed to meet what she characterized as required cybersecurity standards. Those standards include prompt reporting of cyber incidents. Observers continue to be astonished at the extent of this week's data breach at Twitch, evidently at the hands of a hacktivist. PC Gamer leads with a representative quotation, This is as bad as it could possibly get. Maybe not. 
In an update the company posted yesterday, Twitch said that as far as they know, no login credentials were stolen. And since Twitch doesn't store pay card data, those weren't exposed either. If the data aren't there in the first place, they're not there to be stolen. So, Twitch users, you've got that going for you, which is nice. So, and finally, you've no doubt heard of NFTs, non-fungible tokens, which essentially create property rights to digital artifacts that can be bought and sold, saved and traded, like baseball cards for the Silicon Valley set. They're code in a blockchain, and you gotta love that, right? Because it's a blockchain. So maybe you got burned investing in Theranos, and you're looking for a surer bet, a way to really make your money grow, so you can, say, retire to a yacht in the Black Sea with a snazzy tracksuit and an exotic cat for a pet. And these NFT things are maybe really scratching where you itch. Well, not to rain on y'all's parade, but... Put that pen down and step away from the checkbook or that Apple Pay app on your phone. A project, Evolved Ape, marketed to investors as NFT, attracted thousands of speculators. It had a website and a Twitter account and everything, even a promised game, a collection of 10,000 unique NFTs trapped inside a lawless land where they're fighting for survival. Only the strongest ape will prevail. Anywho, as Vice reports, the whole thing turned out to be a rug pull. The head guy in charge, who went only by the hacker name Evil Ape, disappeared, taking not only the Twitter account, but also 798 Ether with him, that's $2.7 million in Yankee Greenbacks, sport. Retrospectively, some of the disappointed investors say they can see some signs that Evolved Ape was less than fully professional, maybe like the name Evil Ape. Anywho, Mr. Ape is now out there somewhere in the wind, footloose and fancy-free, and more than two million bucks richer. John Cleese of Monty Python fame offered, as reported by The Verge back in May, his own investment opportunity. It was an NFT of a digital picture of a drawing he made of the Brooklyn Bridge. We especially like the two fish Mr. Cleese drew sporting beneath the bridge, and the way it's hard to tell the seagulls from the waves. Sure, it's a quick drawing, but hey, Picasso got away with that in his dove, right? Better than a poke in the eye with a sharp stick or thousands of NFTs trapped inside a lawless land. Stupid ape. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. 
Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Sam Ingalls is a contributing writer and researcher for eSecurity Planet. His recent article, The State of Blockchain Applications in Cybersecurity, looks at some of the challenges blockchain technology has to overcome before it's likely to see widespread adoption. So blockchain technology has had a big impact on the global financial system, but what are blockchain's uses within cybersecurity? At this point, everyone and their mother has heard of blockchain technology, and starting in 2009, the still anonymous Satoshi Nakamoto developed and deployed Bitcoin using blockchain as its underlying technology. A decade later, and the applications of blockchain technology beyond an alternative to currency remain elusive and largely untested. Considering the priority that is cybersecurity today, uh, the article looks at how blockchain and technology works and how it could be of use to organizations in preserving their network's integrity. Is it fair to say that because of uh, it being so strongly associated with cryptocurrencies that uh, you know blockchain technology itself has a bit of a PR problem? Oh, absolutely. Uh, so the rise of blockchain technology alongside cryptocurrency has been a complicated relationship. Media coverage, passionate investors, and growing recognition by traditional financial institutions all play into why blockchain's big news. But the intense focus on its financial applications also might have deterred a prompter expansion of blockchain's applications to other verticals of the digital ecosystem. Though cryptocurrency seems to gain legitimacy every day, we can't forget that for the better part of the 2010s, the industry was riddled with speculation and little respect from traditional banking. So as far as jumping to its applications within cybersecurity and beyond, yes, it has been a long time coming. Well, let's dig in and talk some about the applications to cybersecurity. I mean, what are some of the areas that you cover here where the blockchain and cybersecurity are a good match? The cybersecurity applications of blockchain continue to be a work in progress, and the marketplace is still in its infancy. That said, some of the more useful applications we're seeing involve preserving data integrity within public or pseudo-public networks, verifying and logging business events, which include everything from patch management to supply chain logistics. And lastly, securing identity authentication, which mitigates the risk of false key propagation, identity theft, and insider risk. And to dive in just a little bit deeper and get more specific, a few examples of blockchain-based cybersecurity startups include Block Armor, uh, which is a network security-focused firm using blockchain to enforce a zero-trust architecture. There's Ukraine-based Hacken, uh, focusing on contract audits for several top blockchains, helping organizations evaluate and verify protocols before deployment. 
There's Highland Credentials, which was once a part of MIT Media Lab, which is building a blockchain secure digital records platform, uh, which uses their open standard Blockhertz company. Uh, companies can streamline identity verification in real time. And then finally, Chronicled is a blockchain platform focused on life sciences industries like pharmaceuticals, commodities, and precious metals. Using blockchain-enabled IoT devices, the firm's technology tracks supply chain activity, offering more visibility into shipments, logistical challenges, and counterfeiting. What about some of the big providers, you know, the Amazons, the IBMs of the world? They have some uh, sort of plug-and-play solutions here for people who want to dip their toes in the blockchain waters? They sure do. So AWS and IBM blockchain are both great examples of blockchain as a service options. Uh, Microsoft Azure just this earlier this year decided that they will not continue with their blockchain initiative. Uh, and that is more of an indicator of specialization as AWS and IBM blockchain and others continue to grow and, and really absorb the marketplace. With that being said, though they may offer blockchain solutions, they are fairly experimental and and, and give developers and organizations globally a chance to work with and play with blockchain in considering applications for their own organization. It strikes me that blockchain technology's impediment is not the technology itself, uh, it has some very legitimate uses, and and put in the right places, it is effective technology. It just it seems like, particularly when it comes to sophisticated security people, when you even mention it, you get a lot of eye rolls. Indeed, and that is simply uh, going to have to come with time. That people understand that blockchain as a technology is a lot more powerful and has a lot more use cases than just financial applications or just financial exchanges. Uh, For the meantime, while that continues to receive so much media attention and is simply worth as much of it as it is, so it really does come with time and buy-in as well as, you know, a market adoption. Until we start seeing organizations implementing blockchain security solutions, no other organization is going to want to take that jump. That's Sam Ingalls from eSecurity Planet. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And I'm pleased to be joined once again by Josh Ray. He is Managing Director and Global Cyber Defense Lead at Accenture Security. 
Josh, it's always great to have you back. Um, I wanted to check in with you today on the Fancy Lazarus Group. I know you and your team have been tracking this organization. Can you give us a little bit of background on this group and the, the types of things that you all are seeing from them? Yeah, absolutely, Dave, and, and thanks again for having me back. So, you know, the Fancy Lazarus Group is is a topic that's come up a lot with our clients over the last, you know, month or so. And for those that aren't familiar, from about May to July of this year, there's this group that's using this moniker, Fancy Lazarus, uh, and they've conducted what we consider seemingly indiscriminate and opportunistic DDoS attack combined with extortion emails. And they're targeting a lot of organizations in the finance, energy, and telecommunications, uh, but also the insurance verticals. And just so you know, I mean, this notion of fancy Lazarus, the, the moniker, we think almost certainly references the, the Russia-linked Fancy Bear and the North of Korea-linked Lazarus group. And they really right. use that, uh, we think, as a means to intimidate the targeted organization. Can you give us some details on how they operate, what exactly they're up to? So they start typically with a uh, email demand ransomware payment, and then if you know if this is not received, the actors uh, threaten to launch into a, a DDoS attack against the victim's network. Uh, the extortion amount you know typically changes from you know half a bitcoin to about four bitcoin, and they do that in increments daily until the extortion fee is actually met. But our intel team really thinks that the amount is determined according to the organizational size. So if the payment's not received, the extortion email uh, contains threats to increase the intensity of the attack, claiming that the volumes would go all the way up to about 10 terabytes per, per second. Um, however, our team has observed actually a much lower intensity level. From May to June, you know, we've actually seen and several DDoS protection companies have reported that they seem to be focused on discovering unprotected assets by viewing the border gateway protocol routing table to ensure that, you know, they want to make sure that basically they're targeting organizations that don't have essentially like third-party protection or a DDoS protection vendor that could yeah. um, that could help them. Um, so, you know, there's obviously a mitigation there <laughs> that's screaming out <laughs> right, here. So. Right, at the top, top of the list of mitigations. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, what we, we've seen that, you know, our, our team really assesses that, you know, this is very much a, an opportunistic uh, criminal group performing these attacks rather than an organized nation-state uh, affiliated uh, organization. Um, and, you know, we really try to prescribe a list of recommendations, as you mentioned before, having things like a third party help you with your your DDoS protection is always something that's really important. Implementing things like uh, effective traffic monitoring, intercepting and filtering, possible things like, you know, DDoS scrubbing, you know, hardware services that are out there, as I mentioned before. Using signature detection, of course, uh, is always very useful uh, to drive some levels of anomaly detection across your network traffic that, you know, would deviate from, from the norm. But, you know, doing things like having endpoint security and network intrusion detection and prevention systems in place because you know what what we're seeing here is maybe even a blended attack. So being on the lookout for you know while the DDoS attack is occurring, there could be other types of you know exfiltration happening at the same time. So don't just so be so you know focused on the extortion and and the and the DDoS attempts because there may be some you know side you know third channel type of attack that that could be occurring. 
that may be exfiltrating data from a, of a different part of your organization. So kind of being on the lookout for that, you know, while, you know, while this activity uh, may be uh, targeting your organization. Yeah, so even a little bit of misdirection thrown into the mix there. Absolutely right. All right. Well, Josh Ray, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Dave. the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Elliot Peltzman, Trey Hester, Brandon Karp, Peru Prakash, Justin Sabi, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.